looks forward to computer readout time, do they? Why not? But uh, it's just you never can tell what the computer has decided. I think about how when I was young, my body was something I enjoyed being in. I loved the ability to run and be barefoot in the summer and taste delicious raspberries and feel the sun on my face, smell the salt air of the ocean. And as I got older, I began to understand that my body was also something that other people had opinions about and it became more and more challenging to remember that it how I feel in it my presence my experience and the gift that it is like I'm very healthy is not less important and and maybe is the most important thing as compared to what it looks like and how other people perceive and receive it so that would be I think the the biggest danger of diet culture to me is it dissociates us from our experience of being in our bodies to evaluating them based on how other people react or seem to perceive and value how we look. This is Dr. Aaron Nitschke. This is Dr. Darian Parker. This is Decoding Diet Culture. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Decoding Diet Culture. Today's focus is on hashtag fitfluence. There's a lot of research out there on the influence of that particular hashtag or the fitness influencer, the insta influencer, the, the dot com personal trainer, or the, you know, somebody that promotes themselves as something that really they, they lack the credibility, the credential, the education, the experience to, to truly back up. And they're very much a part of diet culture in many ways. They're either promoting it or they are subscribing to it or they simply reinforce it. And there are eight red flags I want to share when consumers are sitting down to evaluate certain Instagram accounts or social media feeds or, or even just like fitness influencers out there. I think these eight red flags are really important. Some of them are not super obvious while others are definitely obvious, but part of becoming an informed consumer is being able to recognize these little signs here and there, uh, that are, that are trying to recruit you to believe in a certain way or think a certain way or do certain things. And part of overcoming diet culture, or at least not allowing it to control the decisions that we make or rob us of joy is developing an awareness of really what the underpinnings of a message are or those red flags. So there are eight of them that I want to share with you in this episode. The first one is extremism. And the message here is it's packaged as always do this or never do this. And that is just so unrealistic for humans. We, we don't live in that black and white world. Human behavior in general is super complex and it is absolutely more multifaceted than these influencers actually understand because again, they're not generally credentialed professionals. 
So their extremism isn't a place most humans can live or at least live sustainably. Our behavior is influenced by the environment, by the mood, by social influences, by all sorts of things, sleep or lack thereof. There are a lot of reasons that behavior shifts and changes, and it has very little to do with willpower, which is inherently limited. It isn't just like somebody has willpower or doesn't have willpower. And that doesn't explain why someone is able to make a change or is not able to make a change. It's not, it's not that simple. So extremism on either end of the spectrum is dangerous to say the least, because again, it's not meeting people where they're at. So look at messages. And if there's this never eat this or always do this, yeah, I'd, I'd take a pause and maybe not follow that account. The next one is really shallow content. That's the second red flag. There's really no educational piece to it. Health and exercise professionals who are credentialed, practiced, professional, they see themselves as an educator, not just somebody who helps them write a program or coaches them on nutrition or behavior change. It's, it's an educational process that has to take place for behavior change to be sustainable. So it isn't just about knowledge because knowledge doesn't equal behavior change. People have to have skills, tools, and practice in order to implement what they're learning and to sustain it and, and weave it into their everyday life. So Insta influencers or these fitfluencers, hashtag fitfluence, they very much focus on very shallow content. And there's really no educational component and there's no conversation about why behavior change is so hard. They don't normalize that it's difficult to make a change. They make it look simple. They make it look superficial and do not acknowledge, probably because they don't know to, because again, they're not versed in behavior change, science and principles, or the process, the nonlinear process of change. They think it simply matter. It's a matter of making a decision to change and then boom, you can do it. It's not that way. And when that, when that content is that shallow people and people feel like they can engage with it, but then they don't live up to those standards or they somehow fall short of something the fitfluencer is saying is super easy. Then they just spiral downward into more cognitive distortions that ultimately don't get them anywhere. And it doesn't help them move forward in their journey. So that's the second red flag is the shallow content. They also refer to new theories or products as the next best thing, or this is the answer to all of your problems. So it's keto. That's the answer to all your problems. It's this detox tea. That is the answer to all your problems. It's taking melatonin. That's the answer to all your problems. And in addition to that, um, they, they have no reference. They have no frame of reference. It's just a, a phrase or a statement that they're making that they likely heard from another fitfluencer. And then that makes people think, oh, if I just can do this, then this will happen. Again, it oversimplifies the process of change and what it takes for someone to truly engage in making healthy decisions as part of a lifestyle practice and not just these series of isolated events. So that's the third red flag. It's the next best thing. It's flashy. It's going to answer your problems. It's going to solve your, your concerns and your issues. And it's just not the way behavior or health works. 
The next one is not backing up any controversial claims. So there's a lot of controversial claims out there in the health and fitness industry and legitimate health and fitness professionals have differing perspective perspectives on things, but fitfluencers tend to be on one side or the other. So they'll make a claim about something and then where's the evidence. And because their account is flashy and pretty and photoshopped or filtered or insert whatever enhancement descriptor you want there, they, they don't have the science, the body of evidence to say this works. It's kind of like, I'll give an example, apple cider vinegar. There's absolutely no legitimacy behind telling someone you need to take apple cider vinegar to lose weight. First of all, it can cause gastric diet, gastric distress because it's highly acidic and it's super concentrated. If you want to try apple cider vinegar, make a vinaigrette and use that as the vinegar. Um, but they make these controversial claims that really might have some research to them, but the results are not efficacious. They don't support that claim, but they don't back it up with any kind of legitimate evidence, science, or even an outside unbiased opinion. That's another red flag. The other thing related to research that fitfluencers really like to do is cherry pick. So by that is they will take one line in one scientific study and take it completely out of context and then say, this is, this is gospel. This is what we all need to be doing in order to achieve X, Y, and Z. And we call that cherry picking, only picking out the data that you want to see or that you hope will support the claim that you're trying to make, even though it's not a broad spectrum of evidence, it's not really looking at the research and questioning the research. So research is great, but every design, every study has its flaw. Absolutely. Why? Because humans are designing the studies and because we, it's impossible to think of everything. There are very well-designed, well-controlled studies out there looking at a number of parameters related to health, fitness, nutrition, exercise physiology, behavior change, all of that. But it's when we cherry pick instead of looking at the entirety of the evidence and drawing a conclusion. And when this happens, the cherry picking, fitfluencers tend to infer causation instead of recognizing that, oh, this study had a correlation or an association or a relationship with, that is not cause and effect. And you can't really, with research, say X causes Y. You need to look at the all the evidence in front of you. And fitfluencers don't really do that. It's like they, they search on Google and they find this article that says something. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to curate this content and I'm going to put it out there for my consumers because it, it's obviously proven, or, or so to speak. That's the other key word is proven. Research really doesn't prove or disprove. It supports or doesn't support a hypothesis. So fitfluencers are pretty famous for being like, so such and such has proven that this, this detox tea works miracles or insert whatever. So looking for that language is, is really, really important. The next one. Fitfluencers are really into a pro, like kind of promoting this, it's my way 
approach that will work and there's no room for other approaches. So they kind of dismiss everything else that's out there and it's packaging their program, their nutrition package, whatever it happens to be and selling it in a way that's like, if you do all of these things, A, B, C, D, E, and F, then guaranteed you will get these results. When in fact, again, that's oversimplifying behavior change. And it's also taking a cookie cutter approach with influencing people's behaviors or mindsets. That cookie cutter approach is not going to work for every individual. And that is because we all have different personalities. We all have different perceived barriers that are standing in our way. We all live differently. We are all subject to different types of influences. What influences one person might not influence another person. We all have different circles of social support. Some people have no social support. Many of us have access to certain things, whereas other populations may not have access to fitness centers, to the services that they need. So it's, it's kind of saying, if you don't do this, there's nothing else that will work. There's no room for variability. There's no room for flexibility. There's no room for ownership is almost what that, how that can read. And the truth is there's, there's no one best approach. Everybody is going to approach change differently and they're going to, to experience the peaks and valleys. And that is okay. That is part of an authentic journey through change. Fitfluencers approach is not authentic. It's like, it worked for me. So obviously I can make that generalizable to the rest of you. And that's not how data is applied. That is not how humans operate. There has to be some ownership with the changes that, that you as an individual want to make and feel compelled and prepared to make. It can't be this my way or the highway. And in fact, promoting something like that goes in direct opposition to what health coaching really is. We try to help individuals uncover their own strengths. And we recognize that our clients and consumers are the experts on themselves. It's not the other way around. We, the exercise and health professional might be the content expert. That doesn't mean we know what's going to work best for every single individual that comes into our office or that, you know, in any room and in any zoom, it can be very, very different. So that is another red flag is the, my way or the highway. The next one focus exclusively on short-term fast results. There's a sense of immediacy that fitfluencers like to push. So for example, this testimonial is I did this and I lost six pounds in a week. Well, that could be explained by the fact that you cut out every source of carbohydrate and you lost metabolic water. Perhaps you had a lot of inflammation going on and that is somehow reduced now, but is it sustainable? That's the biggest thing. So behavior is a process. It's not a series of isolated events. That's a choice. And when the focus is on those short-term fast results, they kind of hook people because it's like, oh, I got these results in seven to 10 days. But then what happens? Those results tend to plateau. And then we kind of sometimes see the reverse happen where people 
gain back what they lost and then some, and then they're even more discouraged. And then they start questioning their enoughness and they start questioning like, why am I not good enough? Why can't I do this? Everybody else can do it. Why, why, why? So focusing on those results, again, is kind of related to the whole weight loss versus fat loss. We want to see that number on the scale go down according to Fitfluencers. Legitimate health and exercise professionals know better. And we focus on the process, the action steps a person can take to create sustainability in healthy practices. So that's the other red flag. Another one, supplements. Supplements, supplements, supplements. Many times Fitfluencers have their own either brand of supplements or they tend to promote a certain brand. When it comes to supplements, the only health professionals I would truly suggest you trust and lean to is a registered dietitian. They have access to all sorts of third-party companies that are verified that you can, you can pretty much guarantee the quality of these products. Whereas if you go to a nutrition store and you're talking to some clerk behind the counter who really has no training in education other than what the internal training happened to be for that company that he worked he or she works for, it's not going to get you the results that you want. And chances are you're going to be spending a lot of money for something you don't need. Nobody should have to spend a ton of money on supplements if we're incorporating balanced practices. That's not to say that certain things like maybe an additional quality protein powder might be really useful for you. A probiotic for gut health might be really useful. Magnesium might be really useful. Vitamin D, if you live someplace where you're not out in the sun, it's cold all the time, it's dark sometimes um, throughout the year, definitely there's a place and there's a time and there's a rationale for all supplements. But with Fitfluencers, it's literally like, take this recover protein, take, take this energize, take this, take that, take blah, 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 blah. All of these things that you end up spending hundreds of dollars on. And they're not real food products and they're not heavily regulated. Sometimes they're not even regulated at all. Um, so, so keep that in mind as a red flag, is the supplement 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 situation. Supplements are designed to do just that supplement, not replace something. So that is something to, to really watch out for is like, I'm taking away this. Are these supplements being used as a replacement or a supportive mechanism? Because I'm working on shifting whatever practice that happens to be whatever nutritional practice. The other piece of the supplements is what I've noticed is with Fitfluencers, they will, again, going back to one of the other red flags, which is cherry picking data or presenting some sort of clinical trial that truthfully um, is biased research. Because if you look into who funded the study, sometimes it's funded by someone who already manufactures supplements. Obviously that person has a financial stake in the game and they have an interest, a financial interest and a PR interest in demonstrating efficacy with their product. So that's something to be aware of too, is if you see something being promoted, a particular supplement or product, research it. Office of Dietary Supplements is a great place. The FDA is a great place. 
asking a registered dietitian, not even a personal trainer, not a health coach, a, a registered dietitian. They are really the ones that have the scope of practice to discuss that and recommend it. Other health and exercise professionals don't. We can, for example, tell our consumers and educate them on the dangers of supplement use and let them know our scope of practice is limited in such a way that we cannot in good faith recommend anything. However, I can refer you to someone who will be able to do those things. So keep that in mind. Supplements are another big red flag for these fit fluencers. There are many more red flags out there related to fit fluencing um, and, and these instant influencers and kind of these fitness, fitness gram models. Um, and there's too many to mention in one single episode, but these were the ones that were, that really are the highlight and seem to be the most recurring and the ones that are the most obvious when you evaluate it from an evidence-based perspective. But from that consumer perspective, these accounts look great. These people are in great shape. They sound like they know what they're talking about, but they don't have a lot of science behind it. And that is something that is a concern. And instead of sitting here trying to fight diet culture, that's, we can fight it all we want. Um, we can fight it on multiple levels, but is that really where our energy is best invested? The return on that investment is going to yield something very low when in fact we can just kind of divert our attention from diet culture and we can start recognizing and calling out these flags, these these kind of BS markers like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound legitimate and here's why. And I wanted to provide those, those eight red flags because it is a question that I get all the time from students and, and family and friends and colleagues like, hey, what do you think of this? Or I saw this person, what do you think? And it's, it's hard not to come out and say that is, that is not credible, that has no credibility. Um, instead, you have to take the educational approach and say, well, these are kinds of the things to look out for and think for yourself so that you can make an informed decision. And ultimately, trust your gut. If it sounds too good to be true and doesn't really require any drastic changes to behavior, well, chances are the results will be very short-lived and that will end up with even greater disappointment than we started in discouragement. And then honestly, consumers are not even at square one anymore. They're actually like at the basement level and that's not what we want. So these are the red flags to look out for. And we will talk to you again in another episode of Decoding Diet Culture.